one day they'll meet in heaven. It'll be a glorious day. There are a lot of people that you have touched, that you have encouraged, that you've shared a word with. Maybe you really don't know the impact of that word and the time that you have invested in that person. But when you're willing to do that, um, you begin something that you can never see the end of. One day we'll all meet together in heaven. It's going to be a glorious day, and God is, I believe, going to reveal to us the paths that we have chosen, the people that we have touched, the lives that we have influenced. And that is what it's all about. Without that, we fail. If we're not touching lives, if we're not impacting people, if we're not in some way making a difference in the lives of someone else, then we could consider ourselves a failure. We're going to be speaking from Acts chapter 5 again. Acts chapter 5. On our series of retro church and our whole thought, our whole idea is that we need to learn some things from the original church that we have forgotten. When we look at the original church, we see that God reveals to us some things that maybe have been lost in uh, just the way we do church, maybe the emphasis that we place upon church. And so we just need to get back to the pure reason for us being here to begin with, and that is to impact our world. More specifically, to touch the lives of the people who are around us. That is obviously what was happening with the church at Jerusalem. No question that they were making an impact. We have read about already the thousands that had come to Christ as a result of the ministry and the outreach of the first church, the church at Jerusalem. You read about that in the first few chapters of Acts. A number, 3,000 is mentioned, 5,000 is mentioned uh, of men only, and then you add the women and children to that. So we see that there were a tremendous number of people whose lives had been changed and had been impacted, and those people were doing somewhat what we saw in the video. They were sharing the message with other people, which in turn was going to someone else and on down the line, and many, many lives were being changed as a result of people living it and sharing it with those around them. Today I want to talk to you about a, a sentence here that is in this passage. Really it's an accusation that is found that is truly one of the, the most wonderful accusations that could have been said of any church. The title of the message is Filling Our Jerusalem with His Doctrine. Filling our Jerusalem with his doctrine. In the book of Acts chapter 5 and verse 26, we find these words. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence. For they feared the people lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, the disciples, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying... 
Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name, Jesus' name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. You see, if we could just get, get the idea, grasp the point here to understand how they were filling their Jerusalem with his doctrine. And I think we could begin to be the kind of church that would honor God and change lives. How are we going to fill our Jerusalem with his doctrine if we understand what our Jerusalem is and we can see that where we are planted is our Jerusalem, where God has placed us is our Jerusalem, and the people who come in contact with us, those people are in our Jerusalem. If we can grasp all that, then we, we need to then understand how can we fill our Jerusalem with his doctrine. And that's really the big question. That's the question I've asked myself. Um, there are a lot of comments as to the answers to those questions. How do we do that? And what should we do as a church? And how can we we as a church actually be guilty of the same thing? And it all boils down to the simple fact that I, as a pastor must become more concerned and passionate about people individually and seeing them come to Christ. That you as a member and every member of this body need to come to a place where that's really on your agenda. I wouldn't ask for your hands, but how many of you don't even have that as part of your agenda for your life? Influencing and impacting other people for Christ. You see, a lot of times we don't even think about that. Or maybe we think that it's just going to happen just because we're doing all the right things. And I will say that you doing the right things, you being faithful to God and obedient to God, uh, puts you miles ahead of those who are not as far as being able to share your witness, your faith with other people. Because if you're not doing it, then you're going to really find it difficult to share your faith. If no one can see it. So all of that boils down to the simple me, my life. What am I doing and how can I impact the lives of other people? Later in the chapter, we'll look at it in a moment, we, we find the, the response of Peter when he said, that we ought to obey God rather than men. And if we're going to impact our world, then we've got to do it God's way and not man's way. A lot of times we have tried to figure it out on our own and we've made programs and plans and ideas that simply fail because they're our way, they're not God's way. And it must be God's way. But you know what God's way is? God's way of mission work, God's way of getting the gospel to the entire world begins in our Jerusalem. 
We have noted that on more than one occasion and more than one passage, but I'll remind you of Luke 24, 47, which says, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Which reminds us that if we are trying to start somewhere overseas sharing the gospel, then we have already missed the boat if we are not doing it at home. This is our mission field. This is our Jerusalem. And there are people in our Jerusalem who are depending upon us to share the gospel with them tell you, on these streets around this neighborhood, there are no doubt people who are hurting, people who are seeking and searching, people who are in need of Jesus, in need of forgiveness of their sin, people who know they have needs, and no one is letting them know of the love of Jesus. It is imperative that we understand then where our Jerusalem is, and that it is our first responsibility as a church to reach out to them and to impact them. That's what we're learning from the early church. That is exactly what they were doing. They were fully engaged in that to the point that they were accused of filling Jerusalem with his doctrine. Now I want to share some things about filling our Jerusalem with his doctrine. You have some notes there if you want to fill in a few blanks along the way or write anything else down. But I would let you know, probably something you already understand, that filling our Jerusalem with his doctrine does not come without obstacles. We have seen that already throughout the passage. It does not come without obstacles. Obstacles are a reality. They are going to be there. The the disciples, we learned, the early church was determined to do what was right regardless of the obstacles. But the passage we just read, you see that the, uh, the people, the leaders, were against the disciples. Uh, the Jewish leaders really wanted them stopped, wanted that they, their mouths to be shut. They really wanted to do harm to them, but they were afraid because of all the people who were coming to Christ, and they knew that the numbers were against them. And then this accusation comes. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. When we attempt to do the work of God in the world, we understand that obstacles are a reality. It's not something that we're going to get around. It is something that we are going to just work through. We keep on regardless of what is standing in our way. We don't stop just because someone is in the way. And let me say that objections come from within and without when we begin to fill Jerusalem with his doctrine. Because people really enjoy the status quo. You know, we're very comfortable as a church family. And to fill our Jerusalem with his doctrine is going to mean that we may not be quite as comfortable simply because we're going to involve more and more people. Wouldn't it be great if you came into this building on a Sunday morning and the pews were so full that you had to stand up? That might not be comfortable. 
That'd be a great problem to have. Hasn't been a problem in a while. But it would be a wonderful problem to have. It's not always comfortable when you begin to fill Jerusalem with his doctrine. Not only that, there's always going to be someone who is going to say, I, you know, I don't, I don't like this. I wish it was like it was in the good old days, you know. We were just a, a family church, and we enjoyed each other, and we didn't have all these dis- disruptions from these people who are coming in off the streets. That's probably what they were facing to a degree. They were seeing a whole lot of new faces, people they had never seen before of all nationalities, all classes of people. They were coming in to the body. They were coming to Christ. And you know that had to make some people feel uncomfortable. So objections come from within as well as without. We see in the passage here they were coming from without. But I I read a sign one time, a church sign that says, you catch them, God will clean them. You know, if we go after them, then we can just leave the rest of it up to God. Because they may not be the same kind of people we are. They may not look like us. They may not act like us. They may have been very worldly. They may have been very ungodly. But when they come to Jesus, he's going to take care of all of that. But we have to influence them. And we have to show them the way if that is a reality. All of that seems to be an obstacle to people and can be an obstacle to us if we allow it to become an obstacle. But we have to see the bigger picture. And we have to understand that that is the price that we pay or being obedient to the Lord and sharing the gospel with people. You know, I think also that being accused of filling Jerusalem with his doctrine could create problems on the outside with people, even in in a church's neighborhood. You know it was causing an uproar in Jerusalem. There were thousands of people coming to Christ and they were... They were on Solomon's porch and they were all gathered around and they were creating problems. Uh, And the officials just, they just couldn't tolerate it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we, we had the law called on us because we were parking on all the streets around here and we just didn't have room for people? I would, I would welcome the fire department to come in one Sunday morning and shut us down because we had seats in the aisles and too many people in here. Now, all of that would be a problem. It would create havoc. It would be a problem for those who are without. There are always going to be obstacles. We deal with the obstacles, but we keep our eye on the prize. We understand that there is nothing more important than reaching people for Christ. And that's exactly what God has put us here to do. And so, yes, there were obstacles to these disciples, and they were, they were more difficult than the things I've mentioned because they were life-threatening. I mean, they wanted them to die. They wanted them out of the way because of the problems they were creating. When we look at this filling our Jerusalem with his doctrine, we understand that it happens only when accompanied with the gospel. I think this is a powerful statement that, that filling... Jerusalem with his doctrine only happens when accompanied with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's his doctrine. You could have a circus and fill up the building. You could do a lot of other 
uh, things that appeal to the flesh and get a lot of people here, we could fill up the building on a particular Sunday, but it would mean nothing. It would be empty. Because you see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what we have been charged to share. And that was the problem here. Filling Jerusalem with his doctrine, his doctrine was the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said in verse 28, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name, Jesus' name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Whose blood? Jesus' blood. You'll find as you read along that as they shared the gospel, they let the people know you were the ones who nailed him to the cross. You slaughtered him. You killed him. His blood is on you. And that was not the first time that that was said. And let me tell you, his blood is on us because it was because we are sinners that Christ died for us. He did not die but for our sin. Would not have needed to die if it were not for our sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so vital and it is so important that we realize that is the message. That is what must penetrate our Jerusalem. That is the message that must get out. That is the only life-changing message there is. Reform is not good enough. Repentance is the message from God. Filling Jerusalem with his doctrine comes with the public commitment to obey God. And I believe the early church was committed to obey God regardless of what happened. I wonder if we are committed to obey God. I wonder if we would publicly commit to obey God regardless of what people said around us, regardless of the objections that might arise, regardless of what our government might say, regardless of what anyone around us would say. Are we publicly committed to obey God? But Peter and the other apostle answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now we are his witnesses, of verse 32, to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. We ought to obey God rather than men. We are here to obey God. That is our objective. We must obey God. We should not be afraid that anyone would know that we are here to obey God. We should not be ashamed. We should not be timid in letting the world know that we intend to obey God rather than men. So when we think about being effective as a church and being obedient to the Lord and doing what God has given to, a, uh, to us to do. When we think about our effectiveness, we can do it man's way or we can do it God's way. And God's way is with the pure gospel of Jesus Christ to let people know their need of Him and that without Him they are nothing. That Jesus died on the cross for their sins, paid for the sin of the entire world, and he is the only hope of mankind. That is our responsibility. We also realize that filling our Jerusalem with his doctrine often infuriates unregenerate and carnal people. Kind of back to the first point where we understand that obstacles are a reality. 
but it can be more than an obstacle. It can be infuriating to those. In verse 33, it says, When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted, trying to figure out how can we kill them. People are infuriated by the fact that that we would stand up for Christ. Infuriated by the fact that Jesus is the only God. People are offended when they are accused of being sinners. Some preachers never mention sin. They never mention repentance. They never mention judgment. None of that is ever brought into the picture. To do that, they have to ignore what the Word of God says because God declares that we are all sinners. And that infuriates people, the very idea of the fact that you would say that all men are sinners or that I, in particular, am a sinner. Well, get this. I didn't say that. God said that. And God created you and God knows you through and through. And he said all have sinned and come short of his glory. And it infuriates people. It infuriates believers. <laughs> when, when they are carnal and someone stands up to them or even just shares lovingly what the truth is about their lifestyle. See, we're living in a very loose society where sin is no longer sin. It's given a lot of other different labels. When reality, we just need to come to the point where we admit sin, repent of our sin, and turn back to God. And then, filling our Jerusalem with his doctrine occurs when we express strong conviction. Our strong conviction is very, very important. Their conviction was expressed in rejoicing. After they were let go, verse 40, they agreed with Gamaliel, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So so they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Gamaliel's comment to them was this, if God is in it, it will not fail. And so stand back and let's just see what happens. Because if God is in this movement, then you're not going to be able to stop it. But if God is not in it, then it's just going to fizzle out. Basically, that's what he says. And then verse 40 says, they agreed with him. But you know what they did anyway? It says that they called for the apostles and they beat them. 
Okay, they agreed, you know, let's just let them be, but they still beat them. And then they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And the point is this. The the wickedness that prevailed brought them to the place where they were tortured, beaten. It was not just a little spat on the hand. I'm sure they were... There was blood involved and a lot of pain and a lot of agony. But they were convicted. They were so convinced about what God had set them apart to do. Their responsibility as the church in Jerusalem, this strong conviction, expressing this conviction, it was expressed in the fact that they were rejoicing They were rejoicing even though they had just been beaten. They rejoiced in suffering insult for his name. None of us probably have ever been there, at least to this degree. But they rejoiced just knowing that, you know, all we're doing is trying to live for Jesus, share his message, do the right thing, and and we're being beat up. But that's okay because we love the Lord and he loves us. And we go through life, and while we don't face maybe those kinds of beatings and the outrage of the mobs around us, we have an evil one who is desperately against us and we get beat up every now and then, but it's okay because of our strong conviction in Jesus Christ. And we know, we are on, we know we're doing what he called us to do. And we just keep doing what we know we are to be doing. We also see that their conviction was in, expressed in their actions, not only in their rejoicing, but what did they do? And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They didn't quit. They did not give up. They went in the temple. They went where they were unwelcomed. They went and they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. They did that from house to house. They let people know about Jesus. They did not quit. All because of their conviction, all because they understood what was at stake, all because they were concerned about people, all because God loves people. And their Jerusalem was being filled with their doctrine because they were willing to yield themselves and give themselves up totally to Him. By every possible means, at every possible opportunity, they were sharing the gospel and lives were, be changed, or were being changed. Probably for this to ever happen in this church is for us as his people to first of all say to God, God, I don't have all the answers and I'm, you know, I'm relying on you. 
All we have is your word. And what we're seeing over and over again is that they were eager to share it with people. They wanted everybody to know about it. And they let people know about Jesus. And the result of that was that people were coming to Christ. And yes, they were infuriated. There were obstacles. There were problems in doing that. But the very end of this chapter says they kept right on doing what they had been doing. We never stop. We never quit. Even when we face opposition, we have to be smart. We have to have his wisdom. But we just don't stop. We share the message. Would love for that accusation to be made to this church. Instead, mostly what you hear in the community about this church is nothing. Or, where is that church? I didn't know that church was there. I've never heard of that church. That was being said by very few people in the city of Jerusalem at this point because they were eager. And it wasn't just one or two. It was the people who were reaching out to their home base, to the people right around them, the people they loved, they cared for, the people in their neighborhood and bringing them to Christ and to be a part of that church. And while I think about their baptism services and how awesome that must have been, that's what will fill the, our city with his doctrine. Let's pray together.